Hey, everybody, it's Timmy Gibson. Uh, coming up next, I have a great conversation. I had a great conversation with the Reverend Adam Hamilton from Church of the Resurrection, which is a, a Methodist church here in Kansas City. It's actually, I think it's the largest Methodist church in America, I believe. I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Anyway, it's a great conversation. Uh, as you know, those that listen to my podcast, I'm a, I would consider myself a spiritual agnostic and yet, you know, I still love Jesus. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely not a Christian, definitely not a believer in that way. Um, I, I have way more questions than I do answers at this point in my life. Um, but uh, Adam's been a longtime friend of mine, and I always uh, love having conversations with him about some of the things that I may be personally struggling with or some of the things that I hear people do struggle with when it comes to faith. So without further ado, my good friend, Adam Hamilton. Hey, good morning, Adam. Hey, Timmy, good to be with you today. Hey, thanks so much for doing the podcast today. Oh, I'm delighted. Always enjoy the conversations with you, Timmy. Always yeah, do. well, I, I appreciate you uh, coming on. I'll be honest, uh, a lot of my Christian uh, friends, because of my journey uh, away from faith, they don't they don't want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> that, that's sad. You know, I, it I is. Think, uh, I think Jesus, Jesus uh, and you and I both follow Jesus, and Jesus... Uh, Jesus spent most of his time with people who had questions or felt like they didn't really fit in the church or not the church, then the synagogue. Right. And, uh, you know, and so uh, to me, you know, I know that Jesus embraces people and, uh, and, and allows us to have questions. Yeah. And I appreciate your honest questioning. Well, I, I, I've been friends for a long time since you were like just a pup. You were what? Great or something when I first met you. Yeah. Cause I, I, you're, you're what? Just a few years older than me. I'm 53. I'm 58. 58. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, five years older. You were, you had I was come in ninth grade. Okay. That's to say you were in ninth yeah. grade. I was like, yeah, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere in there when you start coming to faith chapel. Yep. So that I'm sure a lot of my listeners, you've come on the podcast before, but I don't think we actually talked about kind of what is your coming to faith story? Cause I, you weren't always a, a Christian. You weren't raised in a Christian home, were you? Well, uh, sort of. Uh, I was uh, well. First of all, I want to say too, your mom sang at my wedding, so that's right. <laughs> I, I appreciate she and I sang a duet. Uh, Lavon sign language. My wife is a sign language interpreter. In high school, she learned sign, so we sang the song where I sang the male part that your dad I'd heard first sing, and yeah. then uh, your mom sang the female part. And Lavon would sign while your mom was singing the female part in this duet. So I, I have uh, we have a long, long history together. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. So, <laughs> When it came to faith, I was uh, I was baptized Catholic as an infant. My grandmother was a, a deep woman of faith and a, cat, and a Roman Catholic. Um, she gave me my first Bible. She would take me when I was little. She'd take me to Mass and uh, you know taught me to pray the Rosary and gave me you know gave me my earliest experience in the church. Yeah. And uh, and then my my folks they didn't dad was Catholic, mom was uh, more fundamental Protestant, and because they couldn't get along when it came to religion, they just didn't you know they didn't go very often. And uh, finally, when I was in probably third grade, uh, my parents began trying to find a church that was somewhere between that, that would somehow meet both of their needs or would meet them where they were. And so they tried to find something in between Catholic and fundamentalist Protestant. And they ended up in a United Methodist Church uh, in the Prairie Village area. 
And we started going to church there, you know, a couple times a month, probably. And we did that for three or four years. Um, they were having marital problems and they were trying to, they thought maybe going to church might help. And, and, but ultimately they ended up divorcing. And when they divorced, I was in seventh grade and that became church was the casualty of the, of the divorce. One of the casualties yeah. we started going to church. And, you know, I hadn't, but when I was in fifth grade or so, fifth or sixth, probably sixth grade, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to just test this whole God thing out, you know, and I, I, I prayed, uh, you know, a pretty simple prayer. And while I was sitting in church, you know, Jesus, show me a sign. If you're real, God, if you're real, show me a sign, make the lights flicker, you know, help me to see the face of the Virgin Mary on the ceiling. something. You know? <laughs> right. And, and, I'll, and, uh, and I didn't see anything. And I said, okay, I guess I don't believe anymore. And I, you know, it sounded cool to tell people I was an atheist. So I, uh, sounded sophisticated. And so I, I told people I was an atheist from that point on. And, and it was a couple of years later when I was invited to church, the church that you and I met at. And, uh, and it got me, you know, I started going because there were two girls there and I married one of those girls four years later. And, uh, <laughs> Smart man. And, was it, was it LaVon and Tamara? LaVon, Tamara and Teresa Taylor. Do you remember? Teresa? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, three were sitting there together and, yeah. and uh, I asked Teresa out on a date first, I think. And then, uh, and then ended up dating and dated, I think we kind of dated a couple times and then ultimately, uh, LaVon and I became best friends. And, and, uh, then by the time I was a junior in high school, we began dating. But it was that freshman year going to church, and it, you know, t- to be honest, I'd never been to a Pentecostal church, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. But uh, but I did decide I wanted to read the Bible, and it was in reading the Bible that I began to find, you know, I would read these stories. I, started, I thought in my freshman year in high school, I'm going to read the entire Bible, and I began in you know, page one, and I loved Greek mythology, and so I looked at the yeah. you know the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible as Hebrew mythology, and I began reading it. But along the way, I began thinking, you know, maybe there is a God. And then I began praying and there were times when I was praying, I felt like there was somebody listening. And, uh, and I finally, I went to the, you know, pastor Phil Hollis. I went to pastor Phil and I said, Phil, I've been reading this book now for, for months. I'm in the book of Psalms and I don't remember seeing Jesus anywhere so far. Right. And he says, now the book of Psalms is Psalms. The P is silent. He said, you know, I've <laughs> got to go to the gospels and read the gospels. And I said, well, where are they? And he showed me and so I kept reading a few chapters of the Old Testament a night, and then I would read two chapters of the Gospels. And I read the Gospel of Matthew, and I was really taken by Jesus. Uh, I was taken by his, by his morals and ethics and what he was teaching people. I was taken by his willingness to speak up against the religious hypocrites, uh, his compassion and his concern for the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the sick, the imprisoned and the, and the, uh, the folks who were foreigners or, or you know, aliens, as they were described, yeah. um, uh, immigrants. And in all of that, that compassion, that concern, I just was really drawn to him. I got to his crucifixion and I was moved by the, you know, by the pathos of that story. And then, uh, and then his resurrection and on the resurrection, I paused a bit and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't buy that part. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it's a nice thought. I read the gospel of Mark and I once more a shorter version of Matthew's gospel. And I found myself drawn to Jesus again, uh, saddened by his crucifixion. And then Mark's early or original ending, as near as we can tell, has the empty, uh, empty tomb, but no appearance of Jesus yet. I'm like, yeah, I, I just can't buy that. And I got to the Gospel of Luke. And this kind of ties into some of the other questions I know we'll talk about. But yeah. uh, the Gospel of Luke is one that I, it is, it's the Gospel that speaks most to me. I love the Gospel of John for different reasons, but, but Luke is the Gospel that really speaks to me. And, and I, just, I just wrote a book. It comes out in about two weeks on, uh, on Luke. And, uh, and the subtitle is Jesus and the out- Outsiders, the Outcast and the Outlaws. And in Luke's gospel, on almost every page, 
Luke wants people to see that Jesus cared about the people who were outsiders, the people who were made to feel small, the marginalized, the, you know, the, the folks who, um, you know, may, may, may have had brokenness in their lives or no faith at all, been pushed away by religious people. And that's just a, you know, literally on almost every page, that's the yeah. theme of Luke's gospel. Yeah. And I read that and I found, my, found myself really drawn to Jesus once more. I thought, I love this man and, uh, and what he represents and the God that he is preaching and teaching and, and you know, demonstrating. And I get to his crucifixion and once more, even in the crucifixion in Luke, you know, you find things that none of the other gospels have. So, you know, Jesus is, uh, is praying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing of the people who crucified him. And I thought, who does that? And then you get to the story of the thief on the cross, you know, who turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And this picture of Jesus can certainly, you know, you can hardly breathe when you're crucified. And, uh, and yet he's, he's still reaching out with compassion towards this criminal. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, you come to the uh, last things he says, you know, he quotes the Psalms and he says, uh, father into your hands, I commit my spirit. And you get to the resurrection there. And for the first time, the resurrection made sense to me from an existential perspective. And that was that uh, if, so as a, as a Christian, I believe that God came to us in Jesus. There's plenty of room for us to wonder about what is, what is the incarnation? How does it actually happen? But, but, um, but in the resurrection, what stood out to me as a 14-year-old kid was that if God had come to us in some way in Jesus, and he was crucified, dead, and buried, and that was the end of the story, then it appears as though evil and hate and sin won death and, and cruelty and inhumanity that they, that they have won. And, uh, you know, the, throughout history, the stories we have told leave us longing for that not to be the end of the story. And the resurrection, to me, was God's way of saying none of those things have the final word. And the worst thing isn't the last thing, as Frederick Buechner has said. And therefore, there's hope. And so this idea of Jesus rising from the dead almost seemed essential to the story of uh, that, that is being told in Jesus. And so I got down on my knees that night next to my bed as a 14 year old kid. And I just said, not in church, not with the preacher there or anything else. I just said, Jesus, I want to follow you and I want to be your disciple. And I know I'm just 14 years old, but if there's anything you can do with me, I pray you will. Uh, I'd like to be, I'd like to give my life to you. And I still pray that prayer in some form or fashion every day, uh, getting down on my knees and just saying, here I am, Lord, I offer my life to you. And I pray you'll use me and help me to pay attention and see, see what you need me to do or want me to do today and to live the way you want me to live and, and to be an instrument of peace and hope and love and, and light. Yeah. So anyway, that's my, in a nutshell, that's, that's my coming to faith story. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, cause you and I have, have known each other for a long time and, you know, I really would consider you a, a, having been a, a mentor figure in helping me reconcile a lot of the issues that I was having early on in my faith journey. And, and I even thought of it as you were telling that story, do you know where and when that modern day evangelical taking the Bible literally, when did that come about? Because I've talked to a, a couple people that are knowledgeable about history and they say that's a rather new consider, you know, con, considering all of history, that that's kind of a newer thing that, Way back when they yeah. didn't see it like that. Well, right. There's been a whole history of how people interpreted scripture. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish people would debate, have great debates with scholars, great debates on how to interpret various things. And so you find that in the in the Mishnah and the Talmud. Um, you know, the 
the oral traditions around how to interpret scripture, how to understand them, how to, you know, uh, how to apply them. Uh, when you come to Jesus, you find the same thing. Jesus is debating with the scholars on how to interpret the laws related to Sabbath. And he has a very different interpretation of the Sabbath laws than, than many of them did. And in fact, that's part of what led him, you know, got him crucified was his disagreement with their, with this consensus of kind of first century fundamentalism, um, Jewish fundamentalism. And, uh, and that was part for them. So there's always been this give and take interpreting scripture. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, I love this. If you read the book of Job and you read uh, the Chronicles, the first and second Chronicles, the idea of the Chronicler about God was that um, if you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. Kind of what goes around comes around and you're, you're uh, you know, if you're blessed, it's because you were good. If you're, uh, if you're, you know, bad things happen, it's because you were bad. And that was that was kind of the general consensus in in some ways from among some people today. That's how they still think about God. And then you have the book of Job, which is a book of epic poetry. It's written in, in Hebrew poetry. Other than the first uh, two or three chapters, it's written in Hebrew poetry, and it's it's giving a response to that orthodoxy of the day, in which it's saying, "Look, Job was a righteous man, right. and these horrible things happened, and it wasn't because he was bad. And you know, we, we may not like the way the you know because there it just sounds like there's sort of God and the devil are having this contest about right. you know, whether Job <laughs> God's gambling with the devil. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. But so, you know, okay, that, that is the, is the lead up to the poem, but the, the big idea in the, in the book, and it never, it never resolves the problem of suffering. It never says, here's the, here's the answer. Um, it says, you just, you know, God is bigger than your little brain can handle. And so just trust God. Yeah. But, uh, but what it does say is that the chronicler was wrong that here was a righteous man who's suffering. And so, you know, you've got that again, even within scripture, you've got James who's, who's wrestling a bit with Paul in the New Testament on, on uh, faith without works, or, you know, are we justified by faith alone or by our works? And so anyway, in the early church, you find this debate in the book of Acts where, where when it came to circumcision and what to do with the Gentiles, there is a debate between Paul and, and, uh, and you know, James ultimately sides with Paul, but there's other Pharisaic Christians who are like, no, they have to be circumcised. The Gentiles have to be circumcised. So, so that whole history, you get, you know, you get to the, to origin in the, what is he, the uh, late second, early third century, or I think it's third or fourth century. I can't remember now. But anyway, origin's way of interpreting scripture, one of the church fathers was very much, uh, you know, different than what other people are used to. He was, he was looking more symbolically at a lot of things. We get to the, to the period of time in the uh, more modern era in which criticism, biblical criticism began to emerge. And uh, this is, you know, the age of reason. And, uh, and so people are asking questions of the text. They're reading the Bible as though it's just any other text. It's inspired in some way, but they're not exactly sure how. Uh, but they are willing to question things. And as they're asking questions, they're willing to question everything. And this is a overly simplistic explanation. I will tell you that. Sure, but, sure, sure. That's right. um, <laughs> but when that happens, you've got, you've got Christians who are also modernists in some sense who are, uh, that may not be the right term to use, but they're thinking very much the rational, you know, rational arguments about everything. And they are beginning to try to make a case for why the Bible can't be questioned like any other book. Right. And so, you know, the arguments around how we understand inspiration, uh, the idea that uh, they, they erect a fence around the Bible. So it's, it's outside of the bounds of something you can actually question. And then that leads into, and a lot of those were very smart people, and they were, you know, good scholars, but they were clear this was something that needs to be above questioning. 
And when you move beyond that, you know, you, you move into, by the time you get to the end of the 1800s and the early 1900s, you've got the, you know, sort of fundamentalist movement, which again begins among intellectuals at Princeton, at least in part. And they are saying these things are, these are the fundamental truths, they're foundational truths that are above being questioned. That may not have been exactly how some of them would have said it, but, um, and so at this point, these are the foundational truths. Now, everything else you know has to be understood in the light of that. Now, some of those guys, even at Princeton, were people who believed in evolution. They, you know, they weren't the kind of fundamentalists we think of today, but they were trying to make a case for these, you know, five fundamental truths of the Christian faith and, and this idea of an inerrant Bible that, uh, that could be questioned as you were reading it, but it, it wasn't to be, it, it was ultimately the, the greatest standard of truth was this revelation God has given us through the scripture writers by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then that became, that, that continued to move into uh, what we think of as fundamentalism today, which is, um, you know, a Bible that, that there's little room for, you interpret it, but it, there's little room for disagreeing with it. Sure. It's, it's, totally true and trustworthy in everything it says. And, and some of those folks say when it comes to science, history, whatever else, because it is the revealed word of God, as opposed to understanding that humans wrote this book, the Holy Spirit, I would believe is involved in, in ways in the writing of that book. But the, what is, what is inerrant uh, is not the words on the page, um, but this message of divine love of uh, redemption you know, so it's the ultimate message, maybe that you could, if you're going to use the term inerrant, which I think is a, not a good word to use, yeah, uh, infallible. But, uh, but anyway, that's that's just a little bit of. So we end up with, you know, the modern fundamentalism, which is, you know, we believe this. Don't ask questions. It's it's the you know the Bible's totally true and trustworthy in everything it says. We have to dismiss anything that science says that doesn't agree with the Bible. Uh, but that's a that's a pretty small fraction of Christianity, but it, they're pretty loud. Yeah, and a lot assume that that's what everybody believes. And there's a large number of us who don't hold to those views, but still look at the Bible and say, but the story, there's room for us to question it. There's, you know, the, we don't dismiss science because it doesn't line up with Genesis one through three, but at the same time in the story, it is, I I tell, I wrote in my, so we give away third grade Bibles at resurrection to all of our third graders. And I wrote in Stella, my granddaughter's third grade Bible, you know, uh, Stella, I love you so much. And I, I want you to read this book. And I hope that its story, its overarching story becomes the defining story of your life, like it is the defining story of my life. And, um, you know, and that's different than saying, well, every single word I'm going to apply literally in my life. Or right. uh, there's room to be able to say, hey, this stuff in here, this, this cannot reflect. It's inconsistent with the God, you know, the, the violence and a lot of those things inconsistent with the God revealed in Jesus. And so if I'm going to have to make a decision on a scripture, it's inconsistent with Jesus. I'm going with Jesus every day of the week. Right. And so anyway. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, that is a fascinating thing that, that sometimes in that modern day evangelical literalist, uh, group. Yeah. It's just immovable. And what's wild is they don't even agree, you know, even the evangelicals don't agree, <laughs> you know, whether, you know, baptism is essential in salvation or tongues and, you know, speaking in tongues and just all the different facets. It's funny that, of course, yeah. the way that they interpreted it is the right way to interpret it. And I just right. find that, I don't know, I find it just frustrating, maybe is a, a decent word to use, but I find it, you know, ignorant. Ultimately, I just view it as such ignorance to think that that 
one person that it's not i like the idea of of it's it should be questioned it should be talked about it should be you know cussed and discussed and and read and and talked about and not yeah. this is it this is the word of god that settles it that's it no discussion that's it i just don't yeah, resonate I, with that kind of thinking right i think there's a lot of a lot that we learn when we are discussing and debating and questioning and 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 sometimes those questions you know i'd say the vast majority of the population of, of human beings um like to know where the lines are they like to know uh, what the rules are, where the lines are. They uh, struggle some when there aren't any lines at all. And then there's a portion of the population who like to draw outside the lines. Actually, a lot of the, in, the people who need the lines like to draw outside them too, but they just like to know that there are lines. Yeah. And then there are people out there who, who really don't like lines. That's not the way they're wired is to have, okay, here are the, here are the set things. And, uh, and I think the ability to recognize people need to know that there are boundaries, lines, whatever. Children need that when they're growing up typically. But at the same time, to know that those boundaries are not immovable, that there's places to ask questions, to debate, to discuss. And, and I, you know, that's part of what I enjoy in small groups with, you know, with other folks of faith or even people with no faith is to have those kind of conversations because I find in the conversations and the questions is how we grow. And so you know, the, the idea that we're all going to have questions and we're all going to have doubts. And that's you know, and, and that would be true of every religion, unless you've convinced yourself that unless you're so convinced that you're right, and then you don't want to talk to anybody who has doubts because that's unnerving to you. Yeah. But generally we're yeah. as human beings, we have doubts about everything. Yeah. I, there was a book I read a long time ago, um, by the guy that used to, uh, head up that church, man, I can't, for whatever reason, he's been on Oprah, Rob Bell. I read a Rob oh, Bell yeah. book years ago and he just, I think it was Velvet Elvis, but anyway, there was just one paragraph that basically was saying that if you are your beliefs, if that's your identity, that if one brick is pulled out from your belief system and it's proven to not be true and you currently believe it, it just, it's like the whole house of cards just comes down. And yeah. I, I thought that was a fascinating way to, to look at it because I know, um, for me that, that was kind of the way it was when I was a, a right wing fundamental person. It's I, the dinosaur bones couldn't be real because if they were, then that totally messed up the whole 6,000 year old earth. It was like, there were just certain things that it's like, man, the whole thing comes down if that's true. And when I've let go of that, and, and realize that maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe I've misunderstood or maybe what I was taught isn't exactly 100% accurate in every way. And, and maybe there's some nuance here and maybe, maybe we've misunderstood some things. And I know, I mean, I remember Adam, you know, I, I don't think this ever happened at faith chapel. Uh, but I remember another evangelical church that I went to as a kid. I remember vividly a series of sermons where one of the sermons was the pastor preached against interracial marriage. I know I remember another sermon um, preaching against men with long hair, another sermon about men with earrings, and then another sermon about women with short hair, like that's a no, no. And, you know, so 
I don't hear yeah. those preach. Well, I mean, if you do, I don't know. You'd have to go somewhere down south to some backwoods country bumpkin church with you know six people in there, where that's being preached nowadays. But even the even the evangelical church has somewhat kind of evolved. Absolutely. And now with the yeah. big, you know, the the course I I settled a long time ago. I do LGBTQ weddings all the time. Same sex. I was a big supporter of same sex marriage. Uh, and I say a long time ago, but I know, you know, even in the Methodist church that that was or in the near future or in the near past, it was something that was really a big issue. And I'm thinking, wow, guys, we're in 2022. Mm-hmm. Well, I get with the times, <laughs> yep. you know, yep. it's it's almost like we're debating over whether slavery is wrong or not. It's like, really? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it is. Well, first of all, I was thinking about your Rob Bell quote, and I think. Typically, that has to do with usually when people talk about that, they're talking about, again, how we're reading the Bible. And and I remember having a guy called me and he was uh, really upset. This was years ago. Uh, he was a pastor in, in the Kansas City area and he wanted to debate me. And he wanted to debate me about inerrancy. Again, the idea that the Bible might have errors. And uh, and so as we were talking, he said, well, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to debate. you." I'm like, great. He said, you know, I want to make sure that you really want to do this in front of your congregation. Uh, before we do this. And I said, so let me just ask you, for me to win the debate, for you, there are zero errors in the Bible. So for me to win the debate, I only have to prove one error in the Bible. Is that correct? I only have to show you one place in the Bible that is not where there's an inconsistency, where the the two statements cannot be both true at the same time. And he kind of got quiet and, and he said, yeah, yeah, that's it. I said, okay, good. Well, let's have, how about before I do this in front of your congregation, we do it right here. And we're on the phone. I said, uh, I said, where was Jesus? Where did Jesus ascend to heaven from? And he kind of got quiet. I said, because in one gospel it says he ascended to heaven from the Galilee. And the other one says he ascended to heaven from Jerusalem, just south of Jerusalem. I said, those are 90 miles apart and they can't both be true. Right. And we ended up not debating. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just one. There's more. Right. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And so, so this idea that, again, if, if your faith rests on an inerrant Bible, then it's, it is simply too easy to have your whole faith undermined if that's the foundation upon which you built your, your view of Scripture was your foundation upon which your entire faith was built. And it's interesting, of course, you know, the New Testament was not, you know, various books of the New Testament begin being written, you know, maybe around 40, uh, the earliest letter of Paul, perhaps, maybe not, probably more likely 49. And, uh, and the last book of the New Testament, you know, probably second Peter may be actually from the first decades of the second century. So there's Christianity and and the early church and they have formed before the new Testament is formed for decades. The, the Bible for them was only the Hebrew Bible about which Christians disagreed. And, uh, and you know, the Bible wasn't finally canonized with all of the books accepted in the form they're in today until the three hundreds. And so, you know, you've got, again, a a kind of backwards way of looking at this. You know, Jesus came and called people to follow him. They became his disciples. They believed in his death and his resurrection. There was no New Testament written yet. So, you know, again, we start with, are we starting with a book or are we starting with Jesus? Yeah. And uh, for for Christians. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so one of the questions that come up a lot is, what makes you believe that the truth lies with the Bible God and not, say, you know, the Hindu 
faith. Right. Well, so first of all, like if you say the Bible God, there are different pictures of God we have in the scriptures. And so, you know, for me, uh, a, I believe in God. Uh, and that is a, that is a decision that you make. You look at the data around you and you, you know, your personal experience and intellect and arguments about whether there is or isn't a God. And, you know, you, you, you wrestle with all of that. And sometimes it comes down to the you know experience you've had, but, uh, you put all that together and you decide, I think there is something more, or I think this is, it's only the scientific principles, the laws of nature that, you know, ultimately led to this amazing accident called planet earth. And, uh, and so at least for me, there was a time where I thought it all was simply an act acts of nature. And the more I studied the acts of nature and the laws of nature and the, you know, the, the more I thought, gosh, it, it does seem like there may be something more at work than just, uh, you know, these physical laws and where do those physical laws come from? And, and so, somewhere in there, you, you make a decision. There's, you have no proof. I can't prove to you. I can, I can offer, uh, arguments as to why I personally have faith in God in a God or a supreme being or, a you know, something greater, you know, something bigger than just the universe itself. Sure. But, but, uh, so that, that's kind of the first step. And then, and then when you're looking at scripture, you've got different pictures of God there. So even if you say the Bible God, well, you know, if I'm looking at, uh, uh, at God as seen in certain places in the Torah, I'm like, yeah, that's God that's uh, that's violent and vengeful and is a little harder for me to swallow in the life of <laughs> yes. Jesus. So, you know, and and the uh, you know putting to death gay men or children who are persistently disobedient or you know, uh, and so you begin saying, well, I believe that those for me, I look at those stories, and I think they're teaching us something about God, the broad you know scope of, of Scripture in the Hebrew Bible, but. But you've also got room to ask questions. Does that did, did Moses or whoever, you know, wrote this story or or passed on this story orally? Did they uh, did they rightly interpret and understand who God is? And so anyway, then you come to Jesus, and I would say I believe in the God of Jesus. Right. And um, and and do I believe in that God exclusively, as opposed to how other people see God? And so here's a here's one thing. I some years ago I, I spent. Um, a couple of months working on meeting with religious leaders in Kansas City of each of the different major faiths. So I met with uh, with a Lama, I met with a Hindu priest, I met with, of course, a couple of Jewish rabbis that I was friends with, um, with the um, uh, Islamic leader, in one of the Islamic leaders in Kansas City, the Imam. And, uh, and as I listened, part of what I wanted to do was say, tell me about your experience of God. Or uh, And in the case of Buddhism, it's not so much God as this ultimate reality. Um, but tell me about your experiences and tell me about the reasons why you believe what you believe and tell me what's the, what are the five most important things for me to know about your faith? I did some video interviews with them and I preached a series of sermons on this, uh, Christianity and world religions. And I ended up writing a book about it and I preached about it since then and and re-edited the book. And, and, uh, you know, what I found was because I think there is only one universal supreme being and, you know, if there's more than one supreme being, neither one of them are supreme. One force, one entity. And uh, and so, you know, what I think is as humans, we're all trying to find, those who are searching are all trying to find that. They they listen in the light of the way, you know, people in the East sometimes think differently than people in the West, people in the, you know, so they're, they're seeing and thinking about God in the light of their own experiences, in the light of their culture. 
Um, and a lot of the things that they have discovered are, in co- are shared in common. So, uh, you know, when I would listen to people, I would find, well, I agree with that. And I agree with that. And I agree with that. Here's a place where I don't agree, but I appreciate understanding why you believe that. And as a Christian, I don't think that, you know, that I see that differently than you do. But um, so what I'd say is, you know, from, and I I may have shared this with you when I interviewed before, interviewing Muslims and the idea of Islam as a religion of peace, this, uh, the word salam, peace, shalom in Hebrew, uh, Islam, you know, this is, uh, purports to be religion of peace. And I think that's true for most Muslims, not not some of the fundamentalists, not some of the people who are, who adhere to violence, but, sure. but, uh, but what I found is, you know, one of the fundamental things that they hold to is praying five times a day. And so, you know, as I'm listening to them talk about praying five times a day, I'm like, gosh, as a Christian, I don't always pray five times a day. Right. And that guy prays five times every day. And I thought, I'm not going to let the Muslims show me up when it comes to prayer. I begin praying five times a day or more. And, you know, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but I became a better Christian by listening to this Muslim story and by how he, how he lived his faith. Yeah. And, you know, there are places for us to disagree about things. We, you know, you, in Islam, they believe in Jesus. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe, uh, you know, there's a lot of those things that are, that they share in common. Christians don't even understand. They believe in the second coming of Christ. Um, but they don't believe that he was in God incarnate. They don't believe that he suffered and died on the cross for the sins of the world. In fact, they don't necessarily believe that he died on the cross. You know, they, they think that he was somehow rescued. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, same thing with Hindus. When I listen to Hindus and they talk about their faith in, uh, and there's a sense in which there is an ultimate God, and then there's thousands of expressions of God or incarnations of God that are lesser, known as sort of lesser deities. And uh, but when I listen to what they're yearning for, you know, the love of neighbor and the surrender to God, and you know, there's a lot of these kind of things. I'm like, well, okay, I, I believe that too, but I'm going to talk about it differently. And so I'm not saying they're all saying the same thing because they're not. There are certain places where each re- where the different religions are saying very distinct things, and it doesn't honor any of them to say they're all saying the same thing. Right. But but I think you know again I go back to that story of the you know the blind blind men holding onto an elephant, each trying to describe you know what they're what they're holding onto, and the guy who has a tail describes something very different than the guy who has an ear. Right. But they're all describing the same thing. And so so for me, I look at Jesus and I say if if I, if I accept the traditional Christian doctrine, which I do, that God came to us in Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that God had sent Jesus to reveal you know, himself to us, then I look at Jesus as the clearest expression of who God is, that he is. And if I'm going to talk about an infallible or an inerrant word of God, it would be Jesus, that I look at Jesus and say, what he teaches us about God is the clearest picture of God that we have. Um, and so when you put your, when you, you know, cast your lot with Jesus. And if you, you know, the church, you know, again, continues to theologize about Jesus for centuries after his uh, death. But if I look at Jesus and say, in some sense, God came to us in Jesus and he reveals the clearest picture of God, then every other picture of God I have, I'm going to read in the light of what Jesus has said and done. And often I will find that the, you know, that the Hindu or the Muslim or the Jew, are we're going to share a lot in common. We're going to, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to say yes to a lot of things, and we're going to say, not not here. We have a different view here, and that's okay. I love you, even though we see things differently. But my faith in Jesus leads me to say, I think this is a bit different, or I, I choose to believe in this particular truth. And again, the resurrection is one of those kind of things that that I look at and say, I have hope. And my Jewish friends, you know, will say, you know, we we 
kind of get to the same end, but not necessarily through Jesus' resurrection, but through, you know, seeing how God has always worked for the people of God, you know, in, in the Hebrew Bible. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm well, wondering my going off. Go ahead. Let's yeah, no, well, I was going to say, I really appreciate, that's one thing that I've always appreciated about your teaching and your teaching style and your your journey. Um because I always kind of resonated resonated with that same thought process, and I, you were even careful to say, you know, this is where we differ. I see it different than you. You're not saying, well, you're wrong. <laughs> right. You know, to me, that's just such an arrogant, ignorant thing to say. Because when we when we're talking about God, I, at least in my how I would say this is, no one knows all of it exclusively right right it's like i don't know if you ever saw um the good place the i don't think okay there's a there's a tv series on netflix called the good place and adam you don't need to watch the series just watch episode one long story short like literally seriously you will you will fall on the floor it's it's awesome just episode one there's a scene where someone dies and they wake up and they're in Michael's office, right? Michael, the archangel. Mm-hmm. And the person asks, so who was right? You know, what religion was right? And Michael says, well, the Jews had some of it right. The Christians had some of it right. The Hindus had some of it right. And the Buddhists had some of it right. And then he turns around behind him and there's this huge oil painting of this computer geeky looking guy named Walter. And he said, Mm -hmm. but Walter here, while on an acid trip, got 98% of all of the truth as it relates to the afterlife. (laughs) And so we here in the good place, we worship Walter. And it was just funny, but but it had a powerful point to it that I found not only funny, but just kind of refreshing too. And I like what you said about the elephant. You know, I grew up in a culture where, no, the tail that I'm holding accurately describes the entire elephant. Everyone else that's describing any other part is wrong and going to hell. Like that, Adam, and you don't resonate with that either. I just could no longer resonate with that. And it it was one of the things that began to push me on the, the current journey that I'm on today uh, while I still appreciate the spirit and the heart of the message of Jesus a- as well, as you know. So because of time, I know that you don't have a lot of time, and if, hopefully I can ask one more question after this one, but this is the main question that I wanted to ask because of the current culture that we're finding ourselves in with all the the Webb, uh, the James Webb telescope that's discovering all these things and that there's you know billions and billions of galaxies and and Earth-like planets and that, you know, so is there life out there? Most likely, I mean, the consensus is, well, yeah. I mean, if you say it's one in a billion chance, well, that means that absolutely there's life out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But as of yet, we've not discovered that despite people that have been abducted, they say, uh, uh, which I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that, by the way. Um, so what if we were to discover, this is like free thinking now, because this sure. is a conversation that's happening in culture right now. What if we were to discover intelligent life on another planet and they had an entirely different origin story and an, an entirely just like an entirely completely conflicting with the story that we hold to or that Christians hold to? How do you reconcile that? And what like 
let's play a what if. What if that happened? What what happens to Adam's faith? Or not just your faith. What do you think happens to faith in general? Right, right. Well, so uh, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books, a trilogy, uh, back in the 1950s. The first one is called Out of Silent Planet. And the second one was Paralandra, and I can't remember what the third one was. But it, he presupposes the same thing. And so he, you know, the whole series are taking you to another planet in another solar system somewhere. And, uh, and how, you know, how God had come to this people. And, uh, and you know, so it's, it's kind of interesting. If people are really interested in this, it might be worth a good, fun sci-fi reading. Um, I, would, I would suspect that in any other planet, uh, you know, life would have evolved maybe differently too. So, you know, how people or how, it, you know, whatever the highest form of life is on that planet, how they evolve, what they look like, all of that would probably be somewhat different than here on Earth. But um, I would expect that they would, uh, A, I would expect that they would wonder where they came from and the meaning of life. And if there was hope after death and, you know, they would wonder if they were alone or if there was really something more. And, uh, and so I think throughout history on the, on this planet, people have always asked those existential questions and I'm guessing they will have done the same thing on another planet. Yeah. Uh, some of their observations uh, would have been the same. <clears throat> you know, we, <clears throat> we look at the universe and we see beauty and we see love and we, we reach conclusions about what's, what, it, what are, uh, what are better and worse ways of believing and basing your life. And so, you know, loving one another selflessly is better than, than being in it only for yourself. And so I'm guessing they'd reach a lot of the same conclusions about the meaning of life and about uh, love. And, and I would expect that God would have sought to um, be in some sense with, uh, with, I won't call him humanity, but whatever, whatever the entity is, then whatever the life sure. is as consciousness. Um, and so I would, I would think that there would be a lot of similarities. And I would also think that again, depending on, on who wins the battles for culture, there might be some differences too, significant differences. I mean, imagine if, if, uh, the Holocaust had ended differently and Hitler had actually prevailed and there was a TV show out not long ago about that, uh, idea. And so what would religion have looked like if Hitler prevailed Interesting. In a, you know, in, on this planet? And so on another planet, if, uh, just because a religion prevailed for a time didn't necessarily mean it was true. And ultimately you would hope that at least on earth, it appears that typically in the end, um, tyranny always is defeated. It just may take a century to get there. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, I would think there would be a lot of similarities. I would, th I would think that, uh, if the story of, uh, you know, if, if what we, if what I believe as a Christian, you know, seen in Jesus, uh, is true, then there would have been some way in which God would have sought to reveal that to those same conscious entities. Yeah. Um, would not have necessarily been a first century Jew who appears on another planet and, uh, and is crucified. But there would have been some way in which those same truths about who God is and what God's will is for humankind would have been, or for whatever the entity is there, would have been revealed there as well. I think the great challenge for our planet would be fear. Yeah. And I think that we are terrified of uh, what we don't know and don't understand. And we're sometimes willing to go to war over our fears. And uh, that's, you know, a lot of the sci-fi films you find uh, aliens when they're revealed as aliens are under threat because we're afraid. Right. And so 
figuring out how do you live this life of love and how do you have dialogue, intergalactic dialogue about religion. <laughs> it's right. kind of an interesting thought, but you know, what have you thought about uh, people of other, you know, of uh, what have you thought about God as you have the, you, you would have those kind of conversations. So sure. it doesn't appear to be that we're going to have that happen, but it is an interesting question. And it, so if there is a God, which I believe there is, and that God's nature uh, is love and compassion and creativity. And I would expect that that would have been seen in another planet somewhere else as well. Yeah. And so anyway, That's yeah, it's interesting. Good, good. well, yeah, yeah, I had, I had someone say that an old wise person I talked to one time said this, and I thought it was interesting uh, when we had kind of the same kind of conversation and he said, you know, maybe, maybe it's all Jesus. Meaning, meaning, you know, Buddha is really talking about Jesus. The Hindu, it's really about Jesus and another alien race maybe holding a different part of the elephant, but it's, it's all still Jesus or it's all still the elephant. I thought, huh, that's a, I was like, that's kind of an interesting thing that, you know, maybe, maybe it's all Jesus <laughs> and just right, right. interpreted and seen and, <clears throat> and felt and believed differently, which, you know, I can more resonate with something like that uh, yeah. than I can the, the other view. Right. Right. And one other thing I was going to mention to you, and I think I shared this on the last time we were together a couple of years ago, but um, this idea of <clears throat> theology and, and what theology is or what you know religion is. And I think about, uh, and those are two different things, but I think about St. Anselm's definition of theology as faith seeking understanding. Uh-huh. I have this faith. I have this trust. I have this, this experience of God, this yearning for God, this, this, sense that there is a God who is out there. And now my task in theology is to understand that God. And, uh, and some of that we can do with our own reason. Some of it we do with our experience, some of it we do with other people. And some of it we do, uh, at least as Christians, we look to scripture and we look to Jesus as the, as a means by which God has sought to help us know who God is. And there's another phrase that comes from the, from, uh, it comes from, from the Latin, Deus absconditos. And Deus Obscondidos is the hidden God. And so if, if God is hidden in some sense, then our quest as humans is in part to search, seek, find, knock, you know, look, reason, understand you know, who is this hidden God. And I don't think it's so much that God is hidden. I think in some sense, if we could actually see, we would see God all around us. Right. But if you have, you know, you think of a universe that's 93 billion light years across and God stands outside of it, was the initiator of it, the first cause of it, and how much we, we simply can't even know about our own planet. And then I think about the three pounds, of, and I often say this, the three pounds of gray matter at the top of your body, you know, in your skull, is not enough to fully comprehend the God of the universe, not even partially comprehend. And right. so we do our best trying to understand who God is. And, and again, as a Christian, I think God seeks to reveal, God wants to be known, but has to speak in language and terms that we can understand uh, because we couldn't begin to comprehend, you know, God uh, on God's own terms. And so God speaks in metaphor speaks. And that's why I love the idea of the incarnation. God comes to us like us to say, okay, look, let me just give you some clues here. This is what I'm like. This is what I want from you. This is, this is who I am. And, uh, but this, you know, the hidden God hidden, not because God chooses to be hidden, but because we can't fully see. Sure. And, um, and you know, that goes back to, yeah, I mean, there's just, Anyway, that, I think uh, that helps me to, to think about, uh, and there's a, there's a hymn that t- ties in, immortal, invisible, God only wise, 
<clears throat> in light and accessible hid from our eyes. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're all partially blind and we're all yearning to find what's true. Yeah. And it's, is it God? What is God like? And then what does God want from us? And I think those are the questions that religion is trying to answer. Yeah. And um, so. I love it. Well, Adam, I know that, that uh, your time is limited. I really appreciate your time. And, and, and by the way, you know, I attend Church of the Resurrection, the church that you founded. You're this lead pastor. I attend the downtown yeah. campus with my fiance and, and we just, I we, love- we love it. And everybody loves me and accepts me down there knowing that I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> knowing my knowing my story, you know they they yep. just yeah they they love me and actually asked me to be involved and and uh, you know if I was ever wanting to serve in any capacity and I was like really are you sure <laughs> I said you know I, I obviously don't preach trying to win anybody to come where I'm at I said but uh, I just really love the the community and um, which is probably one of my. Whoops! Did I lose you? Yeah, I'm here. That oh. was uh, I. I used Skype to uh, to uh, call, and I didn't realize it cuts off after 60 minutes. Oh, <laughs> well, I was, I, like, was, what happened there? I, I was just telling you how much I how much I loved Church of the Resurrection, that you know the church that you uh, started and pastor, and and I go to your downtown campus. How many campuses do you yeah. have now? Well, we're opening our sixth one uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks on December 18th in Brookside at uh, the church where I was associate pastor when I graduated from seminary, Central United Methodist, across from UMKC. I and, knew it! Oh my gosh! At, well, I live on the plaza. Oh, you do? Yeah, I live on the plaza. Yeah, so I literally drove by it the other day, and I, I almost texted you. I was going to send you a picture and say, hey, there's a United Methodist Church down here that's taken your name. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you know this. <laughs> well, it's funny, yeah. So so they approached us um, about a year ago, and they said, you know, they've been slowly declining, and they were down to about 60 to 70 people. And they said, you know, we're exploring what our future will look like, and we're wondering what it would look like if, if we closed and, uh, you know, basically, you know, closed and reopened. You all opened us as Church of the Resurrection uh, here in Brookside. And we began to explore that. They explored it, and, and we finally both uh, voted to do that, and we're really excited. I think we've got uh, about 300 people who, who are going to be there as a part of the service. Uh, wow, the service I'll here. be there. When's the first service? <clears throat> yeah, it starts December 18th. I'll be there. Good. Come, that'll be awesome. We're going to have a nine and an eleven o'clock service, and it's very exciting. Central was the oldest church, Protestant church in Kansas City, and uh, not that building, but the church itself started in eighteen forty-four. Westport had an older church, but uh, in the city of Kansas, which is what it was called, Central was the oldest church, and so I hated to see it not continue. And uh, we felt like we have a lot of people who live around there, and. Anyway, it, it's going to be very exciting. But we have six. We've got one at uh, our – the first one is the one at 137th and all that looks like a, you know, giant spaceship or something. Uh, has a Really, the architecture has a lot of meaning. We can talk about some other time. But then we have one at K7 and K10, roughly K7 and K10. Uh, our third location was downtown, Resurrection Downtown, where you attend, at uh, 18th and Grand. Is it 18th, 16th and Grand? Never can remember, but right there, yeah. uh, right there by the Stars Printing Press. Yep. And then, uh, and then we have uh, yeah, one in 16th, Blue Springs. By the way, yeah, 16th and Grand. That's <laughs> yeah. right, 16th and Grand. Yep. And then uh, we have one in Blue Springs, and then 95th and Antioch uh, used to be Valley View United Methodist Church is now Resurrection Home Park, and anywhere where we have seen that there's you know a great you know number of people who live, but the churches are declining. <clears throat> we've just said you know we're open to considering whether we would 
you know, reopen a, or open a resurrection location there. And not because we want to take over the world. It's just that there's people who live there. And, and sure. sometimes churches over time end up, you know, struggling. And so we're trying to figure out you know, how to do that. But yes. and I'm so glad you come to resurrection. I, I you know, you've sent me pictures too. And I, and I know your folks, you came with your folks one time to Leafwood yeah. not long yeah. ago. <clears throat> but, the, you know, Timmy, the tr- when we started Church of the Resurrection tw- uh, 32 years ago, my hope was not to try to get people who go to church somewhere else to come to our church, but to find people who had questions and to know it's okay to have questions. And in fact, that's that's a pathway to growing is questions. And, yeah. and people who, for whatever reason, have been turned off by religion and, you know, other churches or whatever, and to say, this is a place for you. And, and we're going to be a place where it's okay to use your intellect. We want you to ask questions. Don't check your brain at the door of the church. It's a place where we hope you'll, you know, so, so we try to provide, you know, a, a approach to the faith that speaks to the intellect, then an approach to the faith that speaks to the heart and has, you know, because a lot of this is about our experiences and our emotions and our feelings. Yeah. And then a church that's going to call people to go live out their faith with their hands in the world and service to the world to, you know, actually not just pray as Jesus taught, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but to actually roll up your sleeves and get to work and say, okay, where does the world not look like the kingdom Jesus preached about? Where is it that people are hungry or thirsty or there's injustice or whatever? And how can, you know, what role can we do to mobilize and inspire and equip people to go out and to live their faith? And, you know, those are all things that I, I love about this congregation. I, I do too. I, I, I yeah, yeah I, I feel, I mean, as a spiritual agnostic, I feel very welcome. You know, I've met with I've met most of the staff at the downtown location, which I'm just going to tell you, I love it, but I am going to, I love Pastor Ann. She's precious, but I'm going to go to the Brookstore because I can walk there. I mean, I live right on the plaza, so I'm definitely going to switch over to Brookside, but I, I have, I've been, yeah, it's your, the vision and the mission it's working because I feel very loved and welcome. And I don't know, this is, I think when your phone cut off, but, they even asked me to serve, you know, they asked me to, and I'm like, now yeah. you know, I'm agnostic. Right. And they're like, well, yeah, we know that, <laughs> but you That's know, uh, I know. Yep. And I just felt so it, well, I've been to I, Adam, you know, I do a lot of weddings, as you know, a lot, a lot, yep. a lot. I'm the number one wedding officiant in Kansas city. And I always tell couples when they say, well, we just don't have a home church. And, you know, so we didn't, you know, whatever. And I say, well, I know a good church. I said, I'll tell you where I go. Uh, cause I tell them my story. I'm like, you know, yeah. uh, if, if you're, if you don't want a church, that's going to make you gag and not want to be there. Like, <laughs> then you got to go to the church of resurrection. I said, I've, I've really not heard any sermons. And I don't believe everything that Adam says. I said, but sure. from the heart from which he speaks and, and the spirit of it, uh, it's, it's just great. You know, it's a, it's I a great, love that, Timmy. Yeah, yeah. I, so, so here you are being an evangelist. I am. I'm I'm evangelizing <laughs> for your church. <laughs> I love it, Timmy. Oh, well, well, that's great, Timmy. I've I've loved you for as long as I've known you, and really appreciate you. And I uh, I appreciate your willingness to your wrestling with faith, and you know that journey is one that continues our whole lives. Yeah. And so, where you are next year will be different than where you are today, which is different than where you were five years ago. And, and so there's that journey, but the openness, the heart, the openness, the willingness to ask questions, the, I think is really important for all of us. And when, when people, when I meet people and they have it all figured out, I, I'm usually a little nervous. Yeah, Uh, me too. (laughs) You know, it's it's just, that's not how it works. Yeah. So anyway. Well, cool. Well, Well, hey, have a good Advent season. So happy Advent season, which I kicked out. Was that last Sunday? Uh, no, it's just coming. Oh, Sunday. this kind so, of Sunday. okay. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know when your broadcast shows, but but the Sunday after Thanksgiving this year is the first Sunday of Advent, and 
yeah, it's uh, we're doing a little uh, this year. You know, sometimes we get real serious and sometimes we're a little more lighthearted. And this year we're going back to a series we did about uh, 10 years ago or so on uh, Advent and Christmas in the movies. And we're looking to see with the you know classic Christmas movies and fun Aww. things that are ch- child friendly. You know, this week, I think Scott's preaching on uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Awesome. We're going to go back to It's a Wonderful Life. And then it's uh, we're going to do Elf and uh, uh, we're doing uh miracle on 34th street oh i love all those are great yeah yeah and then and then we'll do uh scrooge we'll do uh uh a christmas carol for candlelight christmas eve and but what we'll find is every one of those you find uh illustrate real truths about being human and the struggles we face and then the message of christmas so yeah it'll be fun well that's awesome well adam i appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing and uh, i'm a i'm a big supporter Timmy, I appreciate you. I, I like I said, I've, I've loved you for a long time. I, I love you still, and I'm very grateful for you. And it's great having a conversation with you today. Awesome. I have a great one. Uh, talk to you later, buddy. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.